Good evening, Dominica, the Caribbean, and the rest of the world, and welcome to Untapped Potential for today, uh, Tuesday, April 26th. Yes, it's the end of the month. It seems like we're always talking about the end of the month. So indeed, it is the end of April. This is the last week of April in the year of 2022, and I know that you're looking forward to the warmer weather. The weather has certainly been a lot improved in many parts of the country in the U.S., so I hope that you're enjoying this beautiful weather that we are enjoying down here in Georgia. So again, welcome to Untapped Potential right here on TDN Radio with Dr. Simone. Um, I always look forward to being with you each and every Tuesday from 5.30 Eastern Time as we get powered up and energized together and we remind ourselves of the important life goals that we are working on. So this is the place that we come each and every Tuesday to remind ourselves of our life goals and to get energized and powered up for the week. However, unfortunately, this is a sad, sad day for those of us who are from Dominica. Uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, you would have heard that Dr. Thompson Fontaine was arrested at the Melvin Hall uh, Airport, um, the airport in Dominica, as he uh, was visiting Dominica after four years. So apparently there's a bench warrant out for Dr. Thompson Fontaine's arrest, um, going back to an incitement charge back in February of 2017. So unfortunately he was picked up at the airport in Dominica and he was placed in custody. So again, it is a very sad day for Dominica because uh, many people see it as yet another opportunity to victimize someone who speaks out against everything that is going on in Dominica, who speaks out against the government because we see millions of dollars in citizen by investment program money be uh, reserved for only certain people in Dominica, and it really not making an impact in the lives of the average Dominican on the ground. So again, Dr. Thompson Fontaine has been arrested and we are paying very close attention 
to the outcome of that arrest and thanks to social media many individuals and, and, and news organizations well not really news organizations but at least Dominican News Online and the likes of Mr. Loftus Dura has been bringing us the information as it unfolds so for today I thought that I would uh, bring you an interview that I did with Dr. Thompson Fountain back in March of 2021 so we can have a better understanding of who this man is so he is a diplomat working out of South Sudan, Africa. So he has absolutely put the name of Dominica on the world stage. So I think that is certainly one of the concerns that we have, that here we have a prominent uh, international figure and the way that he's been treated is certainly not acceptable. So I want to bring you this interview that I did with Dr. Thompson Fontaine back in March of 2021 as he tells us of the important work that he's doing in the country of South Sudan. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to allow the entire um, interview to play. I think the interview is actually over an hour, so I will play it for the duration of this program and then I will be sure to include it on my YouTube channel as a matter of fact, it is already on the YouTube channel Push Past 10 P U S H P A S T 10. And all you would need to do when you go to the channel is simply type in Thompson T H O M S O N. So no P in Thompson. It is T H O M S O N. And the interview will come up. So again, I will play most of the interview during our time here. And then what we will do is we will go ahead and include it on the YouTube channel so you can see the rest of the interview. So as we do each and every Tuesday when we come here, we like to start the program off with uh, some musical inspiration. And I thought that this song was particularly appropriate for the challenges that we face today. And so let us enjoy this one from Athena. I rise because as we can see, we have so many challenges in Dominica that we have to rise above, that we have to keep fighting. So I thought we would enjoy this number from Athena. I rise and then stay tuned for the interview in most of the interview from Dr. Thompson Fontaine in terms of his work, who he is, and how he is representing Dominica on the international stage. And then we will come back to wind down the program. Stay tuned.
Are you struggling to pay your bills? Has your income been impacted by COVID-19? Are you on track with securing your family's financial future? Let Badui Financial Services be your guide in this ever-changing world. From budgeting and finally eliminating your debt to protecting your income and leaving a financial legacy for your family. Badui Financial Services is your one-stop shop for securing your financial future. Give them a call today at 864-607-1361. That number again, 864-607-1361. Badui Financial Services, Integrity and Service is our commitment to you. Give them a call. Way of introduction, I'm Doc. Can you tell us about the demographics of South Sudan? Just give us a picture of what the country looks like. All right. Um, South Sudan is a landlocked country. It is. It has as its neighbors uh, five countries: uh, the Dominic, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Uh, Uganda, Kenya, um, Sudan, and um, yeah, there's one more. <laughs> yeah, um, but basically, it is it is the um, it is a very uh, big country. It's one of the biggest countries uh, in the in that region. It used to be a part of the of Sudan. And it has a very interesting history, in fact, um, in that Sudan, South Sudan, <clears throat> the country South Sudan was part of Sudan, the bigger Sudan. Uh, so Sudan, oh, it was comprised basically of a northern part that was largely Arab and Muslim, and a southern part that was largely Black and Christian. So they were a country from for many many years in fact since the country was formed by the british in the late 18th century and uh, for about uh, 30 40 years the south sudanese they fought a liberation struggle to um, separate themselves from the north because they, they fought ideologically they were not on the same levels the fact that you are the Muslim country, Muslim country, looking over the affairs of a largely Christian country, and also the whole question of racism as well, you know, the, the different complexion, the people, and so on. So they fought a, a long struggle, and eventually they got their independence from Sudan in 2011. That's why it's often referred to as the youngest nation. So when they got their independence in in 2011, they kept the name of South Sudan, and the northern part of Sudan kept Sudan as a country. So the capital of Sudan is Khartoum, and the capital of South Sudan is Juba. So I'm in South Sudan, I'm in the young country, not in the old country, basically. And uh, population-wise, there are about um, 13 million people and uh, 13 million currently about uh, about 4 million outside of of sudan of south sudan 
in refugee camps. And we'll talk a little bit about why that happened or why that's the case. We have about 4,000, 4 million that, that are living right now in camps in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, in Uganda, in Kenya, in Ethiopia. Uh, basically, in all of the neighboring countries, uh, you have refugees that are living there. And within South Sudan itself, you have about 2 million, what we call internally displaced persons, that are persons living in camps, in UN camps within South Sudan. I'll explain a little later the genesis of all of that conflict. Yeah. Yes, and we're looking forward to those explanations. But before we delve into the details of the peace agreement and all the work that is going on with that, just give us a little reminder of how you journeyed from Dominica to the IMF all the way to Africa. So just a brief history on who Dr. Thompson Fontaine is. You know, it is it is very interesting when when I when you when you think about this. Um, <clears throat> I was at the IMF in uh, up to 2012, and when I was about to, to leave to go back to Dominica, I decided to go into, into consultancy, so I signed up with um, a company called Kofi. Um, it's a British, a British company, just in terms of any potentials for, um, you know, for any kinds of work. And I was in Dominica between 2012 and basically, basically 2017, never heard anything from them. Then in 2017, I suddenly got an email and says, hey, there's an opening for an economist in South Sudan. And if you're interested, I said, well, yeah, I could look at it. But I know that this country is a conflict country uh, because they're just emerging from a very vicious civil war. Um, anyway, I decided, they said, well, it's for, it's for one year. There is a peace agreement that is on that was signed in 2015. It ends in 2018. So there's one year to go. And it's basically a one-year project. Uh, so I said, okay, that sounds interesting. I will, I will do it. So I got to South Sudan, helped help them develop a, a, a three-year strategy for the country. And that was my first major task, really, a three-year strategy. And then out of that, um, then in soon after I arrived, though, it was very clear that the peace agreement was, was, not, was not working. And we, the organization that I, I was involved with, that I am involved with, the monitoring, the Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission, it was set up in 2015 to monitor and evaluate the peace agreement. So let me back up a bit. I think that background is important uh, because I talked about the independence. So South Sudan gets its independence in 2011. Um, the, all of the South Sudanese, South Sudan has 63 different tribes, 63, okay? Mm -hmm. And they speak their own language, they have their own culture, completely different. Anyway, they came together to fight the North. That was their common enemy, the North. They got their independence. So the whole world is excited. That was during the Barack administration, Obama administration, the US poured in just all of the support and they were really excited about the whole thing. Then in 2013, in 2013, those that come together uh, to fight the North began to fight each other. So it developed into a civil war, a very vicious civil war um, that actually resulted in the deaths of close to 600,000 people. So it was not, it was a very vicious, and I will show some photos uh, in a few minutes of some of the key players uh, in that process. Um, so 
that war started in 2014. In 2015, in the countries in the region, uh, Kenya, Uganda, uh, um, Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia, largely, and Sudan, they came together and they forced them more or less into peace agreement, all right? They, they, fought, they got them to sign a peace agreement so that the fighting stopped. So the fighting stops in 2015. Uh, the, in, when, when, when the fighting first erupted in 2013, the main opposition leader, and I'll show you some photos of him in a while, um, Dr. Riyak Misha, who is the main opposition leader. At the time, he was a deputy president. So when they got the independence, you had Salva Kerr, President Salva Kerr, who became the president. He's from the Dinka, what we call the Dinka tribe. And then Dr. Riek Masha, who was the deputy uh, vice president from the newer tribe, was he was the deputy. So these are the two main protagonists. They are the two main guys who started fighting. Uh, so Dr. Masha was forced to leave the country in, in when the war started. <clears throat> so the, the peace agreement they negotiated for him to come back to South Sudan as again as the vice president. So they signed the peace agreement. They came back to South Sudan, to Juba, started the unity process. Then in 2016, they fell out again. In 2016, they fell out and they started fighting again. Dr. Riyak Masha um, was forced to leave again, forced to leave Juba. Um, he was almost killed, but eventually he got refuge in South Africa. Um, so in South Africa, so that's 2016, right? So I came in 2017. We realized that the peace agreement was virtually dead. So we decided that we would go for what we call a revitalization. So our organization, what I was doing as the economist, working in that organization, we decided that we would um, bring the parties together again. Because in the, in the meantime, you had hundreds of different uh, factions, uh, armed factions that had taken root across the country. So we, we embarked on a very uh, critical process of getting all of the parties together, including the opposition forces. We got, we got all of them together and decided that it was in the best interest of the country to do the peace over, basically do a new process. So in 2017, that started. In June of 2017, the peace process started. We went to Ethiopia, brought again all of the parties together by that time, all of the new groups that had evolved, the new warring groups and so on. And also got um, also got the um, the everybody that was part of it basically got them in. And then once that happened, we started the process of renegotiating the peace agreement. And, and I think that begs this question that what is different now? Because here you had the peace process, the initial agreement back in 2015, and then civil war broke out in, 20, in 2016. So you had the first peace agreement 2015, followed by a year of war in 2016. So what is different now? What, what is different that is going to ensure that this 2018 peace agreement will last? That's a, that's a very good question. And um, I was there from the very start. 
of that process in 2017 from the time we started in, in Addis Ethiopia, uh, bringing the parties together. Then we had to get the involvement of Museveni from Uganda. At, at the time, Bashar, Omar Bashar from Sudan, they actually got involved directly in the peace, brought the parties together. The agreement was signed on the 18th. And then the process of bringing the opposition back, as bear in mind in 2016, again, the vicious war, you know, and again, it is, it is along ethnic lines. It's along tribal lines. So it is very easy to identify a newer, very easy to identify a Dinka, because the Dinkas are, people associate Dinkas, they're very tall, generally tend to be very tall and dark, very, very dark skinned. The newers are more like my complexion, it's a little shade darker. Uh, they could pass for Caribbean people. So it's very easy to tell the difference in the thing. So all of these um, newers who were, who were in, because the Dinkas had the upper hand in Juba, they fled, they, they left the country and went outside. Now, one of my critical tasks, and, that, and I think that's important to answer your question, but I think it's good for context as well. Uh, in the, the agreement was signed in, in September. In October, I was given a very important task because by that time, by October of that year, I had now moved. I was no longer the economist, but I was not put in leadership in that in that organization because the the gentleman who had the position I now hold, who was the Mauritius ambassador to the United Kingdom, he decided to go back to his country. So that position became vacant, and I succeeded him in that position. At the time, the, the chairman of the organization was uh, President Festus Mogai, who was the former president of Botswana. So because the agreement is very specific that the, the, the leader of this organization has to be a, a known African leader of high repute. Um, so he was the leader at the time. Now, in October, one month after this, we started the very delicate and difficult process of firstly persuading the, the opposition that they should come back to Juba. Mm -hmm. Because remember, we're talking about 2016, just a few months yeah. back. When I came in 2017, they were still killing each other. They were still almost on an almost daily basis. They would, you would hear of you know, killings and, and so on. The, the violence continued well into 2017. So when the, when the negotiations started in 2017, we got the first um, ceasefire agreement in December of 2017. If they agreed to lay down their arms then. So that's when a little bit of semblance of, uh, of peace started to come in. So it's a year later in October, I, I now traveled to, so to um, Khartoum, Khartoum, Sudan, to, because the way we decided to do the process is that the peace would, would go into two phases. There would be a pre-transitional period. Then you would form a unity government all the, all the former warring parties would come together from a unity government, and then there would be a transitional period to last for three years. And at the end of those three years, you would have free and fair elections. So that pre-transitional period was to last for eight months. So my task was to orient the South Sudanese on their roles for those few eight months. So we selected 10 individuals five from the government, because when, when the fighting started, a government remained in place. So we had five ministers from this government, and then we had five opposition from the main parties that signed the agreement. We had five individuals. So there were 10 people that were charged to oversee the implementation during that pre-transitional period. 
five government ministers and five others. I must say that since then, the five others, are, they're, they're now all ministers and they're all working together. But at the time, in October of 2018, I had the very important task of orienting them uh, to what was expected of them and how we, how as the, the, the mechanism that's, that was monitoring the segment, what we expected. So I spent two full days, and it was a very interesting, interesting time because you asked me earlier the question about how I, you know, my journey, and it was one of those things that really hit you. You know, I was in this room, in this hotel room, just the 11 of us, the 11, the 10, five government ministers, five opposition, the top people, and myself. And I am doing the terms of reference, kind of orienting them as to what it is, what we expect, you know, and so on. And I can, remember, I can remember, like it was yesterday, the fear that the opposition had. I remember one, one of them saying, you know, we are certain that if we come to Juba, we will be killed. You know, our experiences that uh, we cannot trust this government, they will, they will kill us. And yeah, I am trying to convince this guy that no, I, you know, it's, I think it's different now. You know, people have a different mindset and, and I think we can make this thing work. Anyway, long story short, this same guy who was really scared, he's now the Minister of Petroleum. He came, actually came to Juba in December of last year of 2018. So by that time, in, after we did this original orientation, the opposition started coming back in numbers, including Dr. Riyak Mashar, Dr. Riyak Mashar, the Vice President, he came back in 2019, and that is was a whole long process because they had very, they had a lot of lots of problems. You know, one of the major problems we had was the issue of the number of states. Uh, Sudan is to Sudan is to have ten states. Then, when the fighting broke out, the president declared 32 states. Hmm. So you had a war over whether they should maintain 32 states or whether they should come back to ten states. Right? And it has all of the implications, the tribal implications that I spoke about, because people saw it as a, a means of trying, you know, one, one tribe trying to get the ascendancy over the other and so on. And it took months and months. And that almost derailed the whole process. Because as a prerequisite of forming a government, they had to agree on a number of states. And it came down to the why. In fact, we had to extend the, the eight months, became 12 months, and became 16 months. So it took 16 months. Or what was supposed to have been eight months, 16 months. In last year, January, uh, sorry, uh, February uh, 12, the government was formed, the unity government was formed, and that signaled the start of the transitional period. So all the position is back together, they're working together with the government, and this time I think things are moving nicely. We've not seen any return so far to fighting. And I think that is wonderful that um, that is one item on the agenda that can be checked off. But I know there are six areas um, that your agency covers. So one of them is the unity government, which you just explained has already been put in place to assist with this process. But there are several other areas that um, will be covered as part of that agreement. So can you give us an update on some of the other six areas that is part of the process of regaining peace uh, in South Sudan. And again, we thank everyone who's joining us on the Facebook Live and who's listening to us via tdnradio.net right now. And again, we are here with Dr. Thompson Fountain and he's giving us an update on the peace agreement, the 2018 
peace agreement in South Sudan. So uh, Doc, just kind of walk us through the status of the, the other five parts of the peace agreement, if you would. Okay, so the, the peace agreement uh, comprised of, of the, what we call chapters. So it's not just the security aspect or the governance aspect. You have basically six, well, seven chapters. The seventh chapter is my organization. But you have the six, the six chapters. One, the one, the first one is governance that deals with the setup. So for example, right now, in order to get everybody in an all-inclusive government, we have to agree to four vice presidents. So there are four, the only country in the world I think that has four vice presidents. There's four the president, vice presidents. Four vice presidents and a cabinet of 35. The only, the only country I think that rivals South Sudan is Dominica in terms of the size. I was thinking of the cabinet. same thing. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> in terms of the size of cabinet, right? Um, so you hand that in chapter one. Then chapter two deals with the security situation because very much, as I told you, you have people who are fighting each other who killed each other's brothers, cousins, sisters, and so on. Now, chapter two focuses on bringing them together. Chapter two have several things about, for example, um, you had to have the whole issue of the, um, they had to declare all prisoners of war. They had to agree not to um, have child soldiers. They had to agree to open up access uh, for the country, for humanitarian. So all of that is in, is in chapter two. And in addition, you had a number of security mechanisms that were formed. A key one was to get all of the leadership, the, the, the what you call the chief of defense forces for each of the militaries, because you had the government and its military, the opposition, two major groups had their own military. So now you have the leaders of each of these three coming together along with the head of the police, the head of the prison services, all of the security mechanisms, they form uh, an organization that reports to us, all right? So this organization reports to us, but the whole focus was on the security issues. One of the main things they had to accomplish was a unified military and a unified, what we call unified organized forces. So now they had to, they had to come together and allow opposition uh, military to come and that's the pictures I will show later. Uh, where we went to those training centers, bring them together, the period of training, they integrate that, they bring them together as a unified military, unified police, unified prison services, unified um, fire services and so on. So that was, that's a key aspect of chapter two. Uh, chapter three deals with the humanitarian issue. I said earlier that um, there were 4, 4 million refugees because of the fighting what fled to neighboring countries and to million interdisperse. Chapter three deals with how you bring these people back to the country, how you provide for them to allow them to come back in peace and safety. That's chapter three. Chapter four is an economic chapter that folk, and that's when, that's when I first went the first time, that's what I was looking after. It deals with the, the, the economy um, reforms because one of the main reasons why this civil war broke out is because South Sudan has oil and a lot of the fight was over this natural resource. So you have reforms um, that deals about accountability, transparency and so on, and a lot of different reforms within the economic sector, that's chapter four. Chapter five deals with very importantly, transitional justice issues because a lot of atrocities were committed during these years of civil war. So you have to bring people to account. So there is um, an allowance for what is called a, a hybrid court, 
that would try persons who are guilty of human rights abuses. Then you also have a truth and reconciliation um, committee that would be formed, a commission that would allow people to seek forgiveness, something along the lines of what they did in South Africa after apartheid. Uh, because as I said, a lot of atrocities were committed, people hold a lot of grudges and so on. So you want to organize that in such a way that people can have truth and, re and reconciliation. And then the third part is to have a reparations aspect so that people who were around can receive some just reward. That is chapter five. And then chapter six deals with a permanent constitution making process. So they have to redo the entire constitution for the country to be more inclusive and so on. So these are the six chapters that are currently being worked on. And all of this has to be done. We have three years to get this done. We've already done one year and two more to go. And that kind of begs the question, because as we know, a lot of the civil war that broke out was uh, along tribal lines where, um, you know, cattle is seen as very high esteem in South Sudan. And unfortunately, sometimes one tribe has to trespass on another tribe's property in order to be able to graze their cattle and people have gotten killed out of that. So does any of the chapters address that particular issue to ensure that another civil war is not going to break out over the rights of grazing your cattle? I will tell you, that's the one that probably I've had the most sleepless nights over, is what you just described. It's, it's, it is very interesting because specifically it is not related to the agreement because that has been happening for centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years. You have one tribe will go raid cattle, not only cattle, but, but children. There's a particular tribe that will raid the women and children of one tribe. And then after about six months, that tribe will retaliate and that just tit for tat, tit for tat, that goes on. In fact, for this year alone already, we have several hundreds been killed. Now, this is not, part of the agreement per se, because it was considered to be a, co a community type thing. What we saw happening, what we spoke out against lately was that it now got a national uh, significance. You know, in other words, it, it appeared as if politicians were using that as a proxy, as a proxy war, yeah? So we constantly have to be talking about it. We constantly have to be to be urging the parties to refrain from getting involved because it's along tribal lines, as you said. And remember, the, 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 the civil war was along tribal lines. So it's very easy. There, there can be a blurred line between the two. But that is something that continues, sadly, and a lot of people already. And it happens in particular during the dry season when they have to fetch water for their cattle then you have a lot of cattle raiding, but in addition to that, you have the, the, the theft of, of, of children as well. It's, it's a big, big, big issue that, that needs, that, that keeps us you know, up and, and worried because since the peace agreement was signed, we've not had a fighting between the same type of fighting as we had in 2016 and 2013, thankfully, but you still have a lot of that, of that happening. Yeah, certainly. And, and so unfortunate that, you know, here you have a country that fought um, for 50 years to gain its independence, yet there's still war within the tribes um, of the country. So that is certainly 
uh, unfortunate to hear. And hopefully it can be addressed at, at another level so that does not um, cause another civil war to break out. Now let's talk about the original involvement in this whole peace process. So you're from Dominica, so you're, you're clearly not from the region, but we have the importance, the, the head of the organization that you work with is actually from Kenya. Um, the second in line is from Ethiopia. Yeah. So let's just kind of talk about the, the original involvement to secure this peace agreement. Yes, so it is a regional effort. And one of the things that you should note as well, in fact, um, the current president, President Salva Kiir, uh, he came very close to being defeated in 2016. But the, the Museveni of Uganda actually sent troops. You know, he actually helped back them up with troops that came in physically into South Sudan to help them and then to defeat the, the opposition. So he's a huge player in this, but each of the presidents of the of the region, it's it's what we call it's a regional peace, uh, because the the um, South Sudan is part of what we call the EGAT countries, the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, which comprises the six countries I spoke about: uh, Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, Sudan, Djibouti, and South Sudan. These six countries they have an alliance, and so all of these countries, in the interest of regional peace, they came together. And as you as you remember, the current head of the organization that I work for is he was the former head of the Kenyan military. Uh, so he's a military man. Uh, the deputy, the chief of staff, is the form, is the Ethiopian uh, former ambassador to Russia and to the United Kingdom. And then there is me <laughs> from Dominica. <laughs> right. So um, but we have within the organization that and I supervise now the staff from all of the basically all over not just the region we have we have staff from kenya from uganda from ethiopia but we also have from the uk and the us uh, that work with us we have from from switzerland as well that work in our organization so it, it is multifaceted but the the onus is on the on that regional organization to really ensure that the peace prevails in south sudan so we report, so my organization reports to that body. We call this the summit, it's called the EGAT summit. So we monitor and evaluate the peace agreement and then we report to them for corrective action. If there needs to be any action that has to be taken, we report to them. Yeah, certainly. Thank you for sharing that. And of course, congratulations on the important work that you're doing. And we're so proud to call you Dominican. Well, well, you know, it. <laughs> It goes to show, I, I mean, if you'd ask me whether I'd be doing something like, like that uh, four years ago, I would say no. I mean, how do you even get there, you know? But Yeah, and I have to, I have to tell you because that's one of the thoughts that came to my mind when I was speak, thinking of speaking to you. You know, I just thought of you as this young man growing up in Grand Four, the parents, you know, with parents who were farmers. And I was thinking to myself, yes, you had lofty goals for your life, but did you see yourself in this capacity? Did your no. imagination extend all the way to Africa? Not in my wildest dreams. I mean, when I was at the when I was at the IMF, I worked I worked in Africa, but not on that level. I mean, the work I do now is of such critical importance. I mean, the you know I I do I do I'll show you, for example, one of some of the newspaper. I took a quick thing of that to show you. Uh, I I speak on a very regular basis to the people of South Sudan. 
because the, the question remains is, is the peace holding? Is the peace sustainable? Are our lives changing? And we constantly have to be addressing those issues with the public. So it, it, is, it is very, very important in terms of the, just the fact that this organization that, that is, has such a critical role, because what we have been trying to do, and, and you know, as I talked about the five, the six chapters of the agreement, you have to literally tell, remind them that they signed on and they have to do those things. It is very easy when people get into positions, they, they, they're okay, they can fold their hands and forget everything else. But the fact of the matter is, you still have millions of people in refugee camps who need to come home. You still have to look for an election in two years time, literally in two years time. So we to put everything in place to have an election that is considered free and fair. And not only do we report to EGAD, but we also report directly to the UN Security Council and the African Union Peace and Security, because it is also a question of, of international peace as well. Because if, if there is fighting and, and discord in that central part of Africa, it, it, it impacts every, you know, the entire region. So the UN has a very specific interest in it. So we report directly to the UN Security, Peace and Security Council and to the UN Security General as well. On a quarterly basis, we have to report, we prepare reports that are submitted to him. And, um, and that is how people basically keep, keep track of what's, what's going on there in South, in South Sudan. Yeah, and you know, uh, uh, Doc, it begs the question, what's going to happen when the monitoring body has picked up and left? What is your hope for, for what will happen once Jamek is no longer in the picture? What will keep this agreement um, in place? Well, the, the agreement life supposed to expire with the elections. So the hope is that by the time elections takes place, they would already have had the appetite for working together. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, all of, all of the leaders, when you talk to them today, they say they no longer have, what they want is the, is the agreement to hold. They want peace to prevail. So I think there is that, there is that overriding uh, feeling that we are tired of, or what are we fighting for? Why are we killing each other? We are these are our own people. So the, the idea is that by the time the uh, elections takes place in two years, uh, that the country will be sufficiently united that whichever government assumes office will be able to run the country in a peaceful manner. So at least that's the hope. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we want to acknowledge everyone who's joining us on Facebook Live right now. And we also want to say a special good evening if you're listening to us on tdnradio.net. So again, don't forget, if you are on Facebook Live and you know anyone who would be interested in hearing this conversation, please let them know that we're streaming live on tdnradio.net. And you can also hear a playback of this interview on the big station, Q95, on Sunday morning, 10 a.m. on Lifeline with Dr. Fountain. So let's just acknowledge some of the folks who are joining us here on Facebook Live. We have uh, Chris Bugunu is with us, Oswald Williams, Victor, we have Sharon, we have Augustina, uh, Julia, we have Mr. Gordon Henderson who says great Dominican, and then we have Norma Fontaine who gives us 
Proverbs 18, 16. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for being here on this Facebook Live. Now, Thompson, you have some uh, pictures that you would like to share with us and just kind of tell us any significant experiences that stand yes. out for you during oh, all of this. I can tell you. So what I will do, I will, I will relate the, the, I will, first of all, let me do this first. Let me, let me um, play you some video. I have, I have some videos lined up. I'll play this including a very short piece from Al Jazeera. And it will kind of set the stage and I will kind of talk through it as well. And then I have some still photographs that I can also speak to, to kind of give our, our viewers a sense as to the, the scale of what we are talking about. Yes, so and of course, if, to... um, and of course, we will also post um, some of the videos and the images on my website, Push Past 10, P-U-S-H-P-A-S-T, the number 10, for again, taking into consideration that not everyone is on Facebook. So again, you will be able to see the videos and the pictures on P-U-S-H-P-A-S-T, the number 10.com. Uh, hopefully by this evening, we have a couple of the videos up already, but as soon as you send me the rest, Thompson, I'll be more than happy to post them as well. Excellent. So I'm going to share my screen uh, with the video. I hope everything works out. I tried it earlier, so we never know if these uh, so let's see. Tell me Keep if you see fingers crossed. Thompson Fountain. Oh, yes. Oh, look at that imagery. So Are tell us what we're looking at. Yes. Okay. So this I talked, I talked earlier about the um the fact that one of the key things that we're trying to do in chapter two was to bring all of the forces together, the government forces with the opposition forces. And that is part of the training that is taking place. And that's one of the places that I was able to visit. It is some distance from Juba, but just to see exactly what was going on. So that is some of some footage that I that, that I took. Um, it's just a few seconds long. I'm going to I'm going to roll it, so you can get a sense. I mean, literally thousands of troops there, as you will see from this video. Noises of the wind that you're hearing, basically, it shows you the uh, the number of people that are, that are there hoping to become part of this of this unified uh unified military there's no song and then you're going to see in the end there um these are he's obviously not so Sudanese, but here you have american military you have the un as well I should also add that you know in South Sudan currently you have a United Nations mission that has upwards of 15,000 people, including at least uh, 8,000 troops from several countries, uh, from Pakistan, from India, from from, from Britain. Uh, you have a, a huge um, peacekeeping mission currently in South Sudan as well as part of the effort. So, so that's the first one. I have to, I have to stop it and go back. Uh, I could not find an easier way of doing it, but I, I'll show yeah, you. Yeah, I know that's offer. usually the case with the sharing the screen. You have to get out and then come back in. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. So this one, this is the this the one I showed you previously was the organized forces. This one is basically military, and these individuals they were they were to form part of what we call the the. Uh, VIP forces. They were supposed to provide protection for, in particular, for the opposition forces coming back or the opposition politicians coming back into South Sudan. So 
that gives you a sense there were about 3,000 of them there from both uh, in the both government and opposition forces. Okay, so this one showed the, um, as I said, this is the, um, this is the military part of it. I have two other short ones for you. And then before, before you do, um, Dom, just kind of tell us, is the groups that you're showing us, are they comprised of various tribes of the 63 tribes in, in South Sudan? So that might be an opportunity to allow people to see how much similar we are as opposed to how much different we are. Yes, indeed, indeed, um, absolutely. You have you have all of the tribes represented there, um, but as I said, the, the two largest tribes are the Dinkas and the Newars. But you have you have several others. You have the Zande, you have the Kokea, you have just names that I don't even I can't even <laughs> keep in my mind. I mean, sixty-three is a lot to try to remember. <laughs> it's a lot, but what what we've also done as well is that we've. Um, We've, we've translated our organization, we have translated the agreement, the peace agreement into seven of the major languages. So although you have all different tribes, but they speak, there are seven core languages that at least one person would be able to, to speak. So we've translated into those seven languages. And um, of course, Arabic, Arabic is widely spoken, but it used to be an Arabic, it used to be ruled by an Arabic, um, you know, arrangement. So that's that's also part of it. Right, now, this one, I'm moving away. I, I, I want to show you what the piece means. This particular one I'm going to show you, but I posted that on Facebook. I've got quite a lot of, I, I was surprised at the response, but what this what this is, it shows the um, what peace means to the people of South Sudan. I mean, imagine that you spent, you know, the last, basically the last uh, five, six years, you know, conflict and so on and then what you know they're sensing they're beginning to feel the, the whole idea that peace is peace is coming and, and we i went i traveled just last month to another part of the country um with the defense minister to again to see one of those um, camps that i showed you earlier and that reception was for her it was not for me i just want people to know that <laughs> <laughs> It was for the Minister of Defense, who, by the way, I'll show you a picture of her in a while. I'll show you a picture of Thomas together. Is the, um, she's the wife of the current um, first vice president, the one I said was the main, uh, the main, what do you call the principal, is, is the first vice president and the president, Riyak Mashar. Most people know him by his very famous um, hat, cowboy hat. He does not do without it. Um, so she's she's his wife and she's the defense minister. So we we travel with her uh, with the support of the UN. The UN provides a lot of good support to us. 
I should I should also add as well that that um, as part of our organization, we, we also have a, a a military part of the organization, and their task is to monitor the ceasefire on the ground because the parties signed the peace agreement, so they have to monitor it. So you have a is a multilateral force that you have that goes into all of the different areas to make sure that the parties are not um, are they adhering that they you know they've withdrawn from conflict areas that they are not occupying civilian centers and so on and they're not committing any type of atrocity so that and they report directly they report directly to us so I'm going to show you now a little bit of this. Um, a very interesting celebration that took place, and which was surprisingly great. Quite a I don't know if you if you noticed um, in this that there is a that there is a, a building a huge building that is got mm -hmm. it that is from the effects of the war completely mm. you know destroyed and so on uh, that yeah, is and that, per that particular yeah. video I've already posted on my website so everyone can take a look at it. All right, so and then there is yeah, one. So that's what peace. So that's what peace, peace looks like and feels like. Right. Yes. That is talent right there. <laughs> listening to Untapped Potential with Dr. Simone. If you live in Canada, the U.S. and the U.K. and are looking for Dominica products including cocoa sticks, bay rum, coffee, soaps, crafts and other popular Dominica items, then look no further. You can now shop on buydominicaonline.com, a secure, easy-to-navigate website selling a wide variety of Dominica-made and Dominica-inspired products. When you shop on buydominicaonline.com, you are helping to grow Dominica's economy. Go to buydominicaonline.com and enjoy home away from home. So 
again. This was a portion of an interview that I did with Dr. Thompson Fontaine back in March of 2021. So I hope that it gave you great insight into the caliber of the man that Dr. Thompson Fontaine is. And I think that it is unfortunate, and I think that many Dominicans agree with me, that he has been treated like a common criminal during this whole arrest uh, process that is going on in Dominica. So again, uh, you know, our prayers are with Dr. Dr. Thompson Fontaine that he is not victimized because of his polit political views where it concerns the administration of the government of Dominica. So here we are at the end of the program. Um, I hope that you enjoyed our time together. We are here each and every Tuesday from 5.30 Eastern time as we get energized and powered up together. So we will be back next week at the same time, Tuesday, 5.30 Eastern time. Uh, if you're a regular listener, we want to thank you for your support. And if this is your first time joining us, we want to say welcome aboard and we hope that you will continue to follow us. And as always, we have a video um, of the week for you. So well, actually, let's not do a video of the week um, this week because what I would like for you to do instead is to go on over to our YouTube channel, push past 10 P U S H P A S T one zero. So you can see the entire interview with Dr. Thompson Fontaine, as well as all our other inspirational guests and all the important conversations which have implications for us as Dominicans, Caribbean people, and friends of the Caribbean. So again, our YouTube channel, Push Past 10, is where you can find all those interviews. And if you would like to listen to any of the prior podcasts from this particular program, you can do so at pushpast10.com, so P-U-S-H-P-A-S-T-1-0.com for all the past episodes of this program that you may have missed along the way. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here for another episode of Untapped Potential with Dr. Simone right here on TDM Radio. I look forward to being in your company next week as we continue to get energized and powered up for the week ahead and we continue to remind ourselves of the important life goals. So again, don't forget your life story is your strength as I'm sure Dr. Thompson is doing right now. He's tapping into his potential because he needs to remain strong. He needs to remain positive and again remind ourselves to remain strong, stay positive, stay active and stay engaged until we meet again next week at the same time. You have yourself a wonderful week.